Only God. Man, I'm so proud of Donna. Welcome to Whitewater. My name's David. If you're watching online, if you're here tonight, Donna's story really does capture my attention, and I know yours too, because it's the story of an underdog, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. You know, it's Super Bowl week. I don't know who your team is. The Bengals are not there. I know you noticed that from the video. But something kind of unusual is happening right now in the sports world. Even though it's Super Bowl week, it seems right now that the whole country, especially the sports world, has been processing Kobe Bryant's tragic death. Wouldn't you not agree? Along with eight others this week, it's shocking. It's sad. Even those who are not into sports are following this story. And I, when I first heard it, I reflected on how true the Scripture is. The more I learn, the more we learn, the better and the truer are the teachings of Jesus and his disciples. Here's what James said in James 4, 14. He's talking about a guy who says, listen, today I want to go to this city and do this or that. That's exactly what Kobe thought. And here's what James says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Is that not true? We don't know, I don't know his relationship with the Lord. Reports have it that Kobe attended Mass Sunday morning, did on a regular basis. I so hope that's true for Kobe and his family. They are literally hanging on to hope this week. So I don't think you need to be convinced tonight here in person or watching online. I don't think you need to be convinced, especially after this week, that the world needs hope. Whether it's L.A., whether it's Washington, D.C., do those people not need hope? Whether it's in China, everybody needs hope. I have seen a lot in my lifetime, and I can tell you this, hope is not a luxury, it's a necessity. The staff said I can't say it, but hope is the best dope. I'm just telling you right now, it's the best dope, but I'm not allowed to say it. Hope, however, is one of the key words in our mission statement. Hope is our thing. We exist to help people find hope in Jesus. We've been having so many baptisms, and I love to look over at our baptistry when it happens, but I also love to look to the right, and you can see it over on the wall, hope. I love it how hope just kind of starts and stops in the watery grave of baptism. Hope just kind of blends down into the water when people go all in, and then when they come up out of the water, that's the hope again returning. It's the hope of glory. So if you're watching tonight, if you're listening tonight, you may be helpless, you may be hapless, you may even be homeless, but you don't have to be hopeless. We have lots of different kinds of people here. This weekend you'll have 49er fans, you'll have Chief fans, we have young and old, we have Republicans and Democrats, we have Catholics and Protestants, we have Westsiders, and yes, we even have a few Eastsiders in our church but all of us, no matter where we come from and what we have different about us, all of us have something in common. Everyone needs or wants hope. Hope is why people buy thigh masters. <laughs> hope is why entrepreneurs start businesses. Hope is why some of y'all were out late last night at Hollywood Casino. Hope is why I'm a lifelong Reds fan. I've just learned that the secret to surviving as a Reds fan is the same secret as parenting kids. Lower your standards. I'm just saying you'll be happier. 
We all need hope. Hope is why kids go nuts at Easter time and at Easter eggs hunts. Hope is why kids can't wait for Christmas. And that's why the metaphor that we are using for this series is a swing. There's something about this symbol of childhood that embodies freedom and the spirit of hope as they swing into the future. (laughs) I've been looking at this swing. What do you think? But I, I, I'm thinking I might just try it out here. I, some of you sitting right here, let me, let me, let me just kind of see. Yeah, I think I might just try a few swings. Let me just see. Yes, we were swinging. Yes. Little Charlie, she's a pretty as the angels when they swing. That's a swinging music, too. Thank you, John Anderson, and thank you, prop and facility people. My, my hope was that the roof would not just cave in, you know? We're going to be doing a lot of things with this swing. By the way, I understand the swing holds 800 pounds, the chain's 1,500. I'm safe, and probably you are too. But how do you kind of keep swinging with hope? How do you hold on to hope when the future is unknown and worse yet, when the future is scary. Kudos to Kobe on this, but I'll use his phrase. How do you keep hope alive when you don't have the mamba mentality that you need? Especially, how do you keep hope alive when you're the underdog, when all the odds are against you? Some of you have come in the building just like Donna Patrick. All the odds are against you. How do you persevere? Now, maybe some of you are here for the first time uh, tonight. You're watching online for the first time. And I'll just say this as a preacher. I know you think I have a bias, and I guess I do. But this hope stuff works even if you don't have faith, even if you don't believe what this Bible teaches, what Jesus talks about. If you need some evidence, science is teaching us all kinds of things. Here's what the best science teaches us. When Jerome Groupman diagnosed patients with serious illnesses, He was a Harvard Medical School professor, and here's what he discovered. Here's what he said. Looking for a sense of genuine hope, and indeed that hope was as important to them as as anything he might prescribe as a physician, he said. He said he discovered that all people were looking for this genuine sense of gratitude. Hope was a driver in keeping them alive. In fact, let me quote to you from his book, The Anatomy of Hope. He said, I think hope has been, hope is, and hope always will be the heart of medicine and healing. You believe that? You talk to anybody in the medical field of any level, even those that don't believe in Jesus, they will say there's something about hope that keeps people going. Some of you, the only reason you're here, the only reason you're around, the the only reason that you've been able to make it and persevere through life is because you had hope that the best was yet to come. Something better was just around the horizon. And I don't even think you have to be, I started to say a swinger. I don't even think you have to swing to know that hope works. UC Health's branding is this in Cincinnati. I hear it all the time on the commercial. In science lives hope. You heard that? Some of us work for that UC medical system. True, I would say that is so true. But I would also quickly add, in Christ lives real hope. We are living in a culture 
that is depressed, discouraged, I know personally, anxiety-driven. There was a Wall Street Journal article last week where Edelman, a public relations firm, said this about anxiety and how people feel in our country. He said, anxiety about future employment prospects, wage gaps between the rich and middle class, and corruption have made many people question the very systems of capitalism and democracy. Here was the line in the article. Fears have eclipsed hopes. Fears have eclipsed hopes. Here are a couple of noteworthy items from that article. Only 43% of U.S. residents think that they'll be better off five years from now. The level of trust, the article said, in religious leaders is barely above the trust people have in government leaders. (laughs) Ouch. That's depressing. But as I look at other religious leaders, often deserved. Fears have eclipsed hopes. And that's why we decided some time ago to do a campaign about hope. Not a campaign that raises money, but a campaign that raises hope. Our mantra addresses that quote that fears have eclipsed hope. Fear is the anticipation of evil, but hope is the anticipation of good. You'll hear that more than once in the next 40 days. Your hope as a person, but beyond that, your hope as a Christian has to be in something or someone outside this world. You've got to figure out where your hope, your source, your strength, of your epicenter of hope is. Is it in a person and a place of eternal hope or a person that you can lose or a place or a thing that can suddenly go away? I want to show you a great example of how hope works in the life of an underdog, a guy in the Bible by the name of Joshua, who absolutely had to have some hope and courage to overcome these extreme challenges of his day. Any of you that are struggling with hope, this will especially be helpful for you if you have lost hope. Let me give you the backstory. A guy named Moses is the leader of the Israelite people. He's trying to get them to go to the promised land. Moses is the guy that delivered the Ten Commandments. And as the people are wandering through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, Moses dies, and so God has to put someone else in charge. Enter the guy we're going to study tonight named Joshua. Just an FYI, all leaders are temporary leaders. There is no success without a successor. Every successful leader has to pay attention to leadership succession. So Joshua is called by God to be the new leader. And he's well qualified because 40 years earlier, Joshua and another guy named Caleb went out with 10 other spies to spy out the land of Canaan. 10 of the spies were negative Nellies. They let fear drive them. Remember, fear is the anticipation of evil. They said, we can't take the land. The people are large. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they were positive, oh, we can take the land. As is often the case, the people in Israel listened to the negative spies. They were filled with fear, and they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until the last generation that doubted God in fear died. What could and should have only taken two weeks to get to the promised land journey took 40 years, all because of fear. That's what despair and fear and lack of hope does for you. 
And his story, Joshua's story, is found in chapter 1. I wish I had time to read you all of the book. I do not. Get you a good Bible commentary. There's some weird stuff in here about killing stuff and people. And uh, there's a lot of unusual stuff. But let me hit a couple of the highlights on this Super Bowl week especially. Because here's a guy who's an underdog, but he had hope. Along with Caleb, and God blessed him. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Here's God's promise, and you can always trust the promise of God. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory, it's a large territory, will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. That may be a word right now tonight to somebody watching online or somebody in this room. You need to hear God say to you like he said to Joshua, I will be with you. I will never leave you. Oh, you may think I'm gone. You may, like Donna Patrick, even cuss some at God, but he will never forsake you. And in verse 6, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. There's something powerful about reading the Bible. Over the next 40 days, you're gonna, you need to keep the Word of God on your lips. It, it brings hope. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and be courageous. He repeats it three times because it is one of the antidotes to overcome hopelessness and fear and anxiety. Be strong, be courageous. Courage is required to hold on to hope. See, it takes courage when a student in our church decides to break off a relationship with a guy. Maybe she's a, 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 a female student, and it takes courage to break off a relationship with a guy that she really likes, but he's pushing her to do some stuff that she knows is wrong. That takes courage. It, it takes courage for a husband to say to his wife tonight when they go to bed, I haven't done a very good job as a spiritual leader in this home. Plus, there's some stuff that I've been looking at online. I know it's wrong. I shouldn't do it. I want to stop. It takes courage to confess sin. It takes courage for an employee in our church to go to their boss this week and say, you know what? I'm not going to doctor the books anymore. It takes courage for someone to say, you know what? I want to start giving. I'm going to start tithing, giving 10% to the church because I believe God wants something for me, not from me. And it's scary. And I've never done it before, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be strong and courageous. It takes courage every time after church someone comes up 
who's maybe been putting off a decision to go all in and be baptized and to walk up and make that decision and go all in in front of people they don't even know. I mean, we're not going to get our goal of 365 without somebody being strong and somebody being courageous, maybe even tonight in this room after service. It's going to take some courage for some of you to raise your hand about 12 months from now and say, hey, David, I live in that zip code when you're going to plant that first site, and I want to be part of that core team, and I'm going to leave kind of the mother church, so to speak, and go and help plant that first multi-site. It takes courage. It takes courage to grow up like Donna Patrick did. And Donna, man, sometimes people will say, man, Donna scares me, you know? Especially if you start talking about the Bengals and the Steelers. She's a big Steeler. She scares me. <laughs> and sometimes people say, who's that girl? I said, oh, you have no idea what God has done in her life. Oh, he's not done with her. She's not who she needs to be, but thank God she's not who she used to be. Donna's the perfect example of, of why we need to judge people for where they started, not where you started. She started way back. What got her there? Hope. Courage. So tonight, I want to give you four new words to replace all the other words in your life if you are facing hopelessness. It's the same four words God gave to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Say it with me. Be strong and courageous. Courage is birthed out of this core belief that there is something more that I can't see yet. There's something beyond what I can see. And if I just hold on, if I just hold out, I know I'm going to see the blessing of the Lord. That's what keeps us going. That's what hope is. The writer puts it this way. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. So God comes to Joshua. He says, hey, Joshua, it's going to be hard. There's some Hittites. There's some Amorites. There's some termites. I mean, there's all kind of ites in the land that he's going to... The termites weren't in there. But all kind of bad ites are there. And the first city that God calls them to take on the way to the promised land is a city by the name of Jericho. Jericho was a formidable city to conquer because of its walls. Maybe growing up, you grew up in church. Many of us didn't, but you grew up in church singing the song about the walls of Jericho, how they came tumbling down. What's really cool is our kids in Harbortown this week are studying this very same Joshua story, and you'll study it uh, in your guide, in your Hope devotional guide. But Jericho's walls were intimidating. They were known to be impenetrable. They were fortified, scary, intimidating. Just a question for you before I finish the story. What kind of wall in your life right now is prompting you to lose hope? What's restricting this freedom that you have the faith of a child and swinging into tomorrow? Maybe it's health news that you have received lately. For some reason, we have been attacked with cancer in our church when my wife Donna received a diagnosis of breast cancer five years ago, it was a wall that we faced. Maybe it's a relational wall. Maybe it's a financial wall. Maybe it's an addiction, a burden, a problem, a hurt, a hang-up, a habit that's holding you back. 
And before they attack the city, this is parenthetically, I think, the coolest thing about Joshua's story. Before they attack the city, Joshua now sends a couple of spies, just like he was sent years earlier. He sends a couple of spies into Jericho undercover to check things out. And there's just a gem of a story. I hope you have time to read it in Joshua. But he sends these spies, and there's this gem of the story of this woman who lives in the city who winds up helping them and hiding the spies because she had hope that the best was yet to come. Some of you know the Bible, you know her name. It's Rahab, Rahab. And she was, well, how, how could I say this politely? She was a lady of the evening. She resided in the red light district of Jericho. She was a prostitute. By the way, her descendants later produced Jesus Christ. She was in the lineage, the genealogy. Rahab is not the one you would proudly publicize from your Ancestry.com search. But God's grace always works through the disgrace of the underdog. And Rahab is a poster child for hope. One day working the streets, the next day working for Jesus and God and the Savior and the people of God, helping them knock down some walls. Perhaps there is someone here watching online today, a Rahab esque person. Maybe there's someone in this room right here who's listening to this thinking, can any good come from who I am? Can any good come from what I have done? If you knew me, David, you wouldn't let me in this church. You would stone me to which the person I'm just talking about, Rahab, would scream, no, there is hope even for you. And someday, when you and I get to heaven, that's the ultimate hope of heaven, we're going to be able to ask Rahab, because she's going to be there. In fact, after the city was conquered, let me show you what happened to Rahab. Joshua chapter 6, verse 25 says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and I love this part, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. In other words, she's walking around to testify. Whatever it is that your past hang-up is, that which you are ashamed of, hope will have you tell a better story. It'll have you tell your story. And people can argue with your theology all day, and they will not argue with your testimony, especially when it's a testimony of hope. And she was the ultimate underdog. And I just love that about God, because he loves to turn setbacks into comebacks. A couple years ago, I hate the Patriots, man, but they came back in the Super Bowl. God kind of cheers and supports the underdogs. Don't let the first half of your life discourage you. Oh, God's not done with you yet. Your story is not completed. Joshua was an underdog, and having this underdog mentality with something to prove, is often helpful in life to have success. It was a part of Kobe Bryant's story that I have learned drew people to him. There was an article published, I mean, think about the accolades of Kobe Bryant, 15-time NBA All-Star, five-time NBA champion, MVP, two-time NBA scoring champ, slam dunk contest champion, Lakers all-time leading scorer, 
Yet behind the bright lights in the media pandemonium, he considered himself an underdog. Here's what the article said. Kobe is a bottom line, at the bottom line is a guy who obviously genetically was geared to be very good at what he does, but he also constantly viewed himself as an underdog, which I don't think people really understood about him. He's a guy that came from overseas. He had to earn his way onto the basketball court. He's a guy whose team went 4-20 and 20 when he was a freshman at Lower Marion High School. He's a, he was a guy who's written off as a guard who's, gonna, who's too young and too skinny to turn pro. Yet he viewed all those things as his story. Here was his Mamba mentality. I had to fight and I had to overcome all these things. I had to work hard to get there. Well, I'm not saying that hope doesn't require some work. It required some work from Joshua. We're going to find out. But this is the signature move of God. And God sets us up as in hopeless situations so that when he comes in and saves us and rescues us, he's the one that gets the glory. He loves it when the deck is stacked against his people because that's when his strength emerges the most. Some of the things that's holding some of us back is because we're really good at what we do. And we haven't failed yet. We haven't floundered yet. We haven't stumbled yet. Some of the best and greatest theology and stories happen when someone who thinks they're all that suddenly stumbles and realizes, without God, I have no hope. Some of the easiest paths that some of us take are when we are not who we thought we would be. When we have problems that besiege us and that weigh us down and that we have no way of getting over or through, those are the moments that God specializes in. And so let me just kind of finish by reading to you what happened with the underdog Joshua when he finally got over himself and started trusting God. Why do you think God had to continually tell him, be strong and courageous? It's because he wasn't strong and he wasn't courageous. He was chicken. He was like chicken chow mein. I mean, he wilted. He didn't want anybody to notice but God had to continually inspire him. So let me read to you how it happened. Joshua chapter 6. You can read again the backstory. Here's what it says, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, so big walls and big gates. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, now don't miss this. See, he says, this is before he went into the city, before he conquered it, Here's what God told him. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. March once around the city, once every day for six days. And by the way, he's going to tell him later, on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. So counterintuitive, it is nothing like you would do if you were going to overcome a, a, a huge fortress and overcome a city. Exactly opposite. But that's how God works. As we lift him up, he raises us. As we bow down, he lifts us up. But I don't know if you noticed, I emphasized that the language and the grammar tense that God used here, before he even set foot in the city and conquered it, God said this, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Well, not really, right? I mean, Lord, 
I'm on this side of these big walls, and I need to be on that side of the wall. Other than that, we're pretty good. Yet God said, I have delivered. See, what God is teaching him in, and what he, I think he's teaching me and us, God speaks of what has not happened as if it already has. Because he's a God of the future. He's always working upstream in your life. Our present and our future problems are past news to God. We're worried about the future. Friend, he invented the future. He lives in the future. We're stressed out. Do you think he's stressed out? That's what the essence of hope is. That helps us understand hope. Hope is speaking and claiming that which has not yet happened as if it already has because God promised that it would, and God never fails his promises. You can hold to them when everybody else says stop, don't trust God. You can be strong, and you can be courageous. As I mentioned, you can read more about this, but let me read you the end of the story. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. I was thinking about this verse as we sang some songs tonight. They surrounded the city, marched seven times that last day, put the priest out in front. I don't like that. Anyway, they put the priest and they put the army out there. And when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, Jericho's walls that nobody could ever overcome. So everybody charged straight in and they took the city. What caused the walls to come down besides the power of God? The shout of victory. Some of us are going through so much pain, and there's so many problems right now, and we have such hopelessness in our life. You know what? Sometimes you just got to shout at the wall for it to come down. And it is the praise of God, the shouting of and singing of a greater hallelujah that will bring the wall down in your life. In God's time, and you may seem redundant, and you're going around and around and around, and the walls are never going to fall, but one day you will shout the song to God, and you will speak the word, and God will bring those walls tumbling down. See, to keep hope alive, you have to kind of start right-sizing your walls. Because here's what I've learned as a pastor, as a man, as a leader, as someone who's trying to follow God. It's not the size of your wall. It's the size of your God that gives you hope. And I don't know how big and ominous your wall is, but I can tell you, I've been to Jericho. I've walked right there where it is. I've stood on top of the wall, looking down after two thousands of years of history, seeing what God does when he pushes walls out of the way. I encourage you to get in a small group. Our small group material gives this formula for hope. And maybe this could be your homework this week if you're struggling with hopelessness. The formula for hope, really, it's based on science. You need a goal. You need a pathway to follow to get to that goal. And you need to willingly, obediently follow that path. You need a goal. Whatever it is that you're attacking, whatever you're surrounding, you need a goal. You need a pathway and a willingness to follow that path. Joshua, when you think about it, had all three things. He had a goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the promised land. I'm going to take the city. He had a pathway to get there, God's pathway, walk around. And don't you think he had a path? <laughs> he formed a pathway walking around that city seven times. And then in faith, he followed that pad, that plan and that path 
and he gave the glory to God. That same formula will work for you this week if you need hope. We have all kind of campaign tools to help you, but this hope subject, this plan of trusting God will work no matter what goes on in your world. Even when, or might I even say especially when, tragedy crashes into your life on a foggy Sunday morning after a mass that you just attended. Hope will crash in your life if it's not put in the right person. Your walls will crash. Make sure your hope does not suffer as well. Did a little concordance study. Concordance lists where all of the words in the Bible are and how many times a word appears in the Bible. And so I, I and uh, Teresa, my assistant, did a little surveying, I did a little searching on the word hope. The word hope occurs 83 times, 83 times in the New Testament. Here's what's interesting. It occurs four times before the resurrection of Jesus, 79 times after the resurrection of Jesus. I find that significant. Don't skip by that quickly. Why is that? That's because hope, real hope, comes in a someone and not a something. If you put your hope in anything here on this earth, a someone or a something, you're always going to be disappointed. If you, some trust in chariots, some trust in gold, some trust in, you fill in the blank. If it's something that can go away, that can die, that can be stolen, that can fade away, your hope is in the wrong thing. Hope has a name for us. His name is Jesus Christ. And what's really interesting is if you study the life of Joshua time and time again, this underdog, Joshua, he had to show faith and courage and hope. Joshua's name actually means the Lord saves. That's exactly what Jesus' name is. Joshua and Jesus really have the same name. He's kind of a prototype of the other one that came who gave us ultimate hope. Because at the cross, check it out, Jesus broke down the wall of sin through his resurrection. He broke through the wall of death. That resurrection is the event in human history that gives us hope. And what I guess I'm most excited about this campaign of hope, which we will now begin for the next 40 days, what I'm so excited about is that I see people putting their hope in the wrong thing. I no longer hope in a sports team anymore. I've lived in Cincinnati too long. That's not going to bring me joy. I no longer put hope in a politician anymore. Do you? No politician can fix what's messed up in this world. I no longer put my hope in anything because the only thing more heartbreaking than someone with no hope is a person who clings to false hope. And that's why we would love to give you the hope of Jesus Christ. So we'll be around after services all the time. Maybe you want to take that courageous step of baptism. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you. Maybe you're brand new. We'd love to meet you down here as well. I hope you enjoy watching the Super Bowl and the commercials. It'll make you smile. But the, at the end of the day, the thing that's going to save you is nothing on a screen. It's the one who was on the cross. Next week, John Tizovich will be back here to teach. John was here last fall. He shared his testimony, sang a little bit. Uh, man, you've got to be here next week. You will love him. He's going to continue our hope campaign by talking about those of us who live on the margins 
of society. And we have some of those. Let me have you stand, and I want to pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the wonderful hope that comes in Jesus Christ. After studying this word and studying, Father, for this message, I am reminded again, looking at the current events of our country and our world, that the only sure way that we have of making it through this life into the next life is the hope of Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that we would all lean into this hope series wherever we are in this continuum of faith and despair and anxiety, God, we are going to be strong and courageous and we're going to trust in you because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And so, Father, as we move now over the next uh, six weeks or so to talk about hope, to sing about hope, may we live out hope on our street, where we work, where we go to school, we are four people, God, and so we will not lock eyes with anybody tomorrow that doesn't matter to you and that probably doesn't need hope. So may we learn the lessons from Rahab. May we learn the lessons from Donna Patrick. May we learn the lessons, God, from Jesus Christ, the ultimate hope giver. And, and Father, fear is the anticipation, uh, Father, uh, of bad happening. But because of Jesus, hope is the anticipation of a greater and longer and eternal good. So we claim that now in our campaign as we begin tonight. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.